G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, this is the Round 21 preview edition of the Footyology Podcast. Uh, morning to you, Finey. Good morning, Rohan. Uh, how's your week in football been? Oh, dominated a little bit by goings on at, uh, in Perth on Sunday, but uh, otherwise another week looking forward to more important games on the weekend, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, there's so many that are important now, and we'll come to them in previews with Punch. Uh, just quickly, I've, I keep doing my ladder predictor, and Hawthorne's along this week, absolutely massive. I've got the winner of that game making the finals and the loser missing out, basically. So um did say last week it's sort of like a quasi-final series at the moment. It's certainly panning out like that, but... Um, As you say, there's probably only one story on the menu this week, and obviously it's been the Andrew Gaff story. So let's pick over the bones of it. Um, Let's start with the penalty, eight weeks. Uh, I thought that was about spot on, to be honest. Um, I wrote a column for the New Daily about it. I just think um, these sorts of incidents now in footy are so rare that people sort of wonder what is an appropriate penalty. And there's no doubt, I think one takeaway out of this is how far uh, community attitudes towards violence in football have changed. And when there is a serious incident like this now, there'll be enough people come out saying, you know, the ban should be life or the ban should be a year, which, you know, I think was far too heavy-handed. The other point I'd like to make is the... You know, people say, should character come into it and should, you know, pr- previous record come into it and remorse, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think it should. I think, um, you know, if you're talking about a court of law, you know, and sentencing pleas that people present character evidence and that has a bearing on sentencing. So, and I, and for what it's worth, I, I, I was Im- impressed, I guess, by the extent of Andrew Gaff's remorse. It was clearly genuine and I think you know you you only have to have watched a bit of him play to know that he's not that sort of player uh however you know it had to it had to be met with a suitably serious penalty it certainly had to take him out of the equation for the rest of the season which meant at least seven games because if there were six there was still a chance he could have played in the grand final so Seven, was that enough? Well, you look at the uh, Barry Hall-Brent Stake one. Hall got seven for that, and Staker, uh, I think, missed a week but was able to come back the following week. So the damage in this case is a lot more severe. It had to be more than that. I don't know. I just felt like eight was about the right mark. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's about right. I I thought seven or eight weeks was going to be the uh, final sentence, and that's what it was. But before we talk about the amount of weeks handed out by the AFL tribunal for the indiscretion, or the punch, let's not sugarcoat it, 
to me, the there is a big question that remains to be discussed, and that's whether or not that incident should have been taken up by the WA police. Whether or not that was an assault, yeah, yeah. and whether or not the confines of a, a football field is any different to anywhere else, you know, on the planet. Now, it's a difficult one because everybody knows that Andrew Gaff, this was totally out of character. This is not the sort of footballer that Andrew Gaff has been throughout a distinguished career. And as you said, he's shown the level of remorse that is genuine and makes us believe that, you know, he just is sickened by the act, less worried about the penalty and more worried about the future of Andrew Brayshaw. Now, for me, that doesn't necessarily um, dismiss the need for police action. I, it's a difficult one to discuss, but is there anywhere else other than on an AFL field almost where somebody could cause that much damage with a single punch and not expect to be charged by police? Um, well, you know, my, my legal, uh, understanding of the law and whatever is pretty minimal, but, um, I don't know. I would have thought, say, out on the street, for example, if there's a punch up and someone is, uh, seriously injured, um, if they decide for whatever reason that they don't want to be party to a, uh, a police action, um, the police won't necessarily pursue it, will they? I no. There, there is a point where even though the victim may choose not to lay charges, mm. the police will still take it up. Well, what is that point, though? Um, what is the tipping point? Well, obviously, it's as far as the WA police are concerned, above and beyond this case. Mm. Do you believe it should have been investigated by the WA police? No, no, I'm. I'm yeah, no, I, I struggle with that because I, I think it's too easy to draw a parallel between the footy field and beyond the footy field. I mean, it is, it is a highly charged, rarefied environment where players are in a constant state of heightened aggression. Um, and, you know, the the league has a police code of its own to cover that. And I feel like that's probably sufficient. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm thinking on the run here, and I, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not sort of saying, oh, that is outrageous, blah, blah, blah. But, jeez, it opens a Pandora's box, doesn't it, about at what point is something serious enough to warrant a police investigation? Yeah, it's, I, it's line ball for me. It is line ball. I think when you punch somebody in the head, in the face, and cause extensive damage, you've potentially crossed the line of being able to defend your actions as part of a sporting contest, and you need to be judged with, you know, the greater societal concerns and norms taken into account. And is that dictated entirely by the extent of the damage caused? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yes. Because, I mean, there's been a lot of punches thrown in footy that have been as forceful and 
made contact in the same area and whatever and not done nearly that much damage? Well, not. I think it's been wiped out. This was a full-blooded punch to the face. Mm. But, I mean, like, just to back up what I'm saying, I mean, the the hall hit on Staker in a way was more... It, it knocked Staker out. Yeah, that, I'm saying that, that could easily have been prosecuted by the police. It, is it that dissimilar to Lee Matthews on Neville Bruns? No, no, it's not. Not, And it was interesting. Lee Matthews' reaction was interesting. He... He came out and said he'd totally understand if the police investigated it. Yep. He, he wasn't saying they should, but yep. he was saying he'd, he'd understand if they did. Oh, look, it's a difficult one. I, I just, it just, where do you draw the, at what point do you draw the line? How much damage is enough damage to warrant that sort of action? Well, maybe a police, a police investigation would clear up that answer. Simply to, not lay hands on it at all, leaves it murky. Whereas had the police investigated it and said that we are, we've decided not to prosecute given the uh, fact that it was on a sporting field and difficult to get a prosecution, etc. or said, no, yeah, we are going to prosecute because regardless of the fact that the players are involved in a sporting contest in Australian society today, we uh, no longer accept the fact that a person can inflict damage on another person even without a weapon, but with their, you know, with their bare fists. Now, we know that there's a big one-punch campaign, mm. and I don't want to run to the hysterical what-ifs, but, you know, we are looking to create awareness as to the amount of damage that can be done by a single punch. And there are parents out there that don't have children anymore that were involved in exactly the same sort of incidents, a single punch. And this punch was severe enough to, I think, qualify for police investigation. Well, I suppose backing up that theory is that, like suburban footy and country footy, there's been enough cases, haven't there, of the police? Absolutely, they would investigate. charges. I, I, do you think the fact that Andrew Gaff, this was so out of character for Andrew Gaff, that people are just putting it down to one, you know, completely out-of-character moment for Andrew and that has even stretched beyond the football fraternity into the policing of this situation? Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm okay with that. I, I, I think that... I think context is important and, you know, like... With apologies... Oh, not with apologies, but I mean, like, had it been Barry Hall that threw that punch to Andrew Brayshaw... Uh, there would have been far more bloodlust, wouldn't there, because of the priors and because of the character and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it honestly, is, if you'd said to me before Sunday, you know, uh, rank every player in the AFL on their likelihood of doing an act like that, I would have had Andrew Gaff in the bottom 10%. 1%. I mean, it's yeah. just... Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but so I, but does I, that, but does that give... I think that I think that should be a factor. I oh, don't. Right. So, so in the greater community, um, you've never hit anybody, have you? Um, what I'm trying to say. Oh, is, at school, you know. But, um, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, does by example that give a? I got hit. I've been hit. I've been yeah. KO'd. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had my nose broken in year ten. I had my jaw broken. <laughs> well, what did it? I was with a number of 
AFL footballers and ex-AFL footballers and at that stage a current AFL coach at a Cox Plate race meeting. We'd enjoyed the meeting, had a bit to drink, so there was no driving to be done. We piled into a taxi. One of the ex-AFL footballers sort of stupidly said, I think I'm going to be sick as we were being driven um, back to our houses or back to one house. So the taxi driver put the brakes on and said, get out. He said, I'm only joking. He said, too late. We found ourselves in North Fitzroy in front of a pub. The boys wanted to pile back into a pub. As soon as we walked in the pub, I said, this is not a good pub. I tended to have a sense of the people that were in the pub more so than the footballers. We were in there. Um, the regulars in the pub, let's say, I got a good sense that they were um, unbadged members of the sort of club that um, you don't play football for. Anyhow, they started smart-assing with a few of these footballers. They recognised them, got into their personal space. I went up to one of them. I had started saying something along the lines of, come on, we'll keep to ourselves, you stick to yourselves. And this guy cold-cocked me and broke my jaw. Knocked me me to the ground and busted my jaw. So what happened? There was an all-in. The footballer sort of jumped in. The owner of the pub said... Guys, I've called the cops. I think it's in your interest to get out of here as soon as possible. We were ushered out the back way of the pub into taxis and made our way out of there. I actually went back and visited the pub a couple of days later because, you know, I I had a crack in my jaw. I actually took some time off from work, never told SEN why, just had some time owing Um, and said, you know, this is just, you know, I, I, I want to take this further. And the owner of the pub said, look, mate, you've got every right to take it further, but the sort of people you're dealing with are going to are beyond, you know, they're not going to just be constrained by the law. Don't get involved with them. He said, come to this pub. As long as I own this pub, you can have a free feed here, a free pot whenever you come in. But do not take it up with these people because if you get the police involved, you might get charges laid. But that will not be the end of it. And I'm assuming you've got a wife and kids, which I do. And he said, you do not want to have ongoing dealings with these people. And so, I took his advice. Okay, so no charges. Well, that must happen. No, I, I took his advice. I, <clears throat> moved, I moved on. I, I didn't want to have ongoing relations with, yeah, but if with a, a bikey. If the cops turned up, did they investigate it? No. Well, why didn't they investigate it anyway? Well, there was no one, you know. There was no victim. There was no charge just to be low. Well, that must happen a bit. Yeah. Mm. I don't even know if the cops did turn up. I don't know whether that was just a warning by the publican protecting his regulars. So what's the what's the message out of that? Pick your fights. <laughs> For me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, getting back to the point, I. I yeah. Do you want do you, do you want to hear <clears throat> a, a humorous? Note to that incident. Oh, yeah. So I arrive home. Can it ever be humorous? Yeah, not really. I arrive home at about 7 o'clock in a suit. My shirt's covered in blood. Pretty sore jaw. My wife opens the door and says, you're not coming into the house looking like that, and slams the door on me. 
So I made my way down to the village belt. Gilbo was there, my good mate, and he said, Gee, have a look at you. And I said, I think I'm in a bit of trouble here. My jaw's starting to ache. I didn't know I had a broken jaw at that stage. And he goes, look, I'll get you. let's go to the hospital. He goes, this was about at, at quarter to eight. He goes, I've just got a bet in this harness race. Just watch this go around. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll go to the hospital. We were the last two to leave the pub at midnight. <laughs> he, well, kept, he, kept, he goes, have a beer. You'll be right. Well, good you looked after yourself. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, just you brought up the assault thing. The other angle of this that has come up is the possibility of a send-off rule. Um, personally, I'm I'm not completely comfortable with that either. I just think there's a, a few things there. I think if it's left in the hands of the umpires, that sort of gives them, in, places another responsibility on them, a, a major responsibility that they probably don't need. Um, I think that even if it's sort of in the hands of an observer sitting upstairs like the goal reviewer, I think you can't know the full situation immediately. Um, like even with the Brayshaw thing, we knew it was bad, but we didn't know he had a broken jaw and we didn't know you know, he had four displaced teeth or whatever it was. I don't think the camera is going to pick up every single thing, even with as many cameras as we have on a ground now. I mean, the gaff thing was only just picked up on camera, wasn't it? Um, I think there's no context with a, a replay someone looks at off a screen about what, what led up to that. Um, I, there's just too many, again, for me, a bit of a Pandora's box. So I, I'd, I'm still sort of anti a send-off rule. Yeah, I, I, look, I understand send-off rules in other sports, but there is, you know, we have to be respectful to the culture of our sport and where we are and how we've got to where we are. And I think the game works fairly without a send-off rule. It's like, look, with the current concussion uh, rules, teams are disadvantaged on a regular basis with players getting a knock and being ruled out of the game very early. Mm. So do we need to address that? If it's in terms of fairness, then these things are so rare, so off the scale, then surely we need to address the teams going one down through concussion rather than run to the hills, you know, screaming, you know. On the back of a rare incident. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's a really good point. Because what do you run to the hills screaming? Um, I don't know. I'm thinking of the Iron Maiden song, You Run For Your Life. Well, there's the sky fall, you know, we can either chicken little it, yeah. the sky is falling, that's one yeah. expression, or the other one's run to the hills, Mar, Mar Baker or something, I don't know. Uh, that was Boney M. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another really bad mid-70s disco song. I just want to make this point quickly, and you just touched on it. We've got to be careful we don't catastrophize the whole thing, and... It says a lot to me that the last... I mean, th this is the heaviest sentence being handed down for a single incident since Dean Solomon hit Cameron Wing in 2008. Yep. The Brent Staker-Barry Hall thing happened in 2008. So Solomon got eight games, uh, Hall got seven. You know, that is 10 years ago. I reckon that is, you know, in a, in a footy context, that is a long, long time. So... Yep. You know, I think footy's been too full of knee-jerk reactions in, in its modern 
history, and we've got to make sure we don't overreact to this. Um, so, you know, like Jake, Jake Noel in the age, I think, wrote a piece the other day. He thinks there should be a send-off rule. More and more people seem to be coming to that view. But, yeah, I, I've got issues with it, and I think uh, unless we see this sort of thing happen more, and I, I'd lay a 1,001 against that, there's no justification for it. To wit, I mean, people always bring up the, what if it happens in a grand final with no tomorrow? Well, it hasn't. Remember the Alistair Lynch, uh, Daryl Wakeland thing? Yep. And no one landed a punch, but, I mean, it could have been really ugly. But that was 2004. Yeah, it's four, 14 years later. We haven't had a repeat. Players are not of such low character as to um, place the potential of winning a, a grand final above and beyond their own character or the spirit of the game. Players are not going out there and saying, look, it's so important that we win the grand final that we're going to um, punch the living daylights out of our opposition. That's just not part of AFL football and doesn't need to be policed. <clears throat> no, I agree. And I think the players are also pretty cognizant of what what can happen um, in those situations. I mean, Lynch got 10 after that grand final, he'd retired, so yeah. it was pretty... Imm- Imagine if he made contact. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that one could have been really ugly, but wasn't. Um, all right, we're going to move on. That's, you know, uh, we've devoted a whole segment to that, but it was obviously a pretty uh, important uh, few days in the football landscape for a variety of reasons, as you say. Assault charges, send-off rules, you know, there's some big ramifications out of it. However, Andrew Gaff, he's got his whack. Um, I guess, you know, his future is another talking point. Very one-word answer. Do you think he'll stay at West Coast or go? Uh, look, I think he was planning to go. This might shouldn't change the landscape. I think he'll come back to Victoria. I think that might have increased the likelihood that he'll come back to Victoria, but just, just a hunch. All right, let's move on. Footyology Media Watch. Rightio, the always controversial Media Watch. Uh, now, we've just been speaking about the Andrew Gaff um, stuff. I hesitate to say incident because it doesn't sort of give it enough seriousness, does it? But um, there's a, a few flow-on effects out of that. One I thought I'd raise, finally, I'm not sure what you've got on the agenda Media Watch-wise, but um, there was a pretty interesting sort of prequel to the Gaff tribunal appearance, which was his arrival in Melbourne, and um, they made, uh, I'm not sure whether it was the airport or the club, or the, the alternative arrangements were made whereby he went across the tarmac and sort of disappeared, avoiding the media throng, and uh, certain members of the media, and I did see tweets from both uh, Matt Thompson from the AFL and uh, Johnny Ralph from the Herald Sun having a bit of a, a whinge about um, the fact that Gaff didn't have to, quote, face the media, unquote. Now, uh, both those guys, particularly poor old Ralphie, got an absolute pasting from the punters after tweeting that. Um, it was interesting, some of the people that weighed in too, I think... Uh, Georgie Parker, former Hockey Roo and Mangrook footy show sometime panellist. Georgie weighed in and said, oh, come on, Ralphie, you know, people don't need to see this. But that was overwhelmingly the um, the flavour of the the, uh, the feedback to that tweet that I saw. 
And then the inevitable comparison came up with the Nick Natanui situation where he did his knee and arrived back in Perth and there was that now infamous scuffle. And I I was quite vocal about that one. This one, I must admit, I'm sort of on the punter's side because I think Natanui had just done his knee that same day. Um, it was a Perth TV network and they needed sort of fresh pictures uh, of him arriving back home. But the, most importantly, the Nat Nui arriving back in Perth one, uh, I mean, an arrangement had been arrived at between the club and the media that the media would shoot X amount of footage, not annoy Nick Nat. And then the, uh, what was his name, Peter Staples, I think, the um, integrity officer who sort of was Nick Nat's minder, he, for whatever reason, broke that arrangement and then it was, you know, the media had no pictures and they had to go elsewhere to find them. So uh, this one, there was no arrangement uh, and I sort of felt like the need for pictures was a lot less pressing because, A, he was going to be appearing at the tribunal a few hours hence anyway. B, the far more, you know, sort of captivating in a visual sense footage was the footage from the game day, um, like him turning turning up and walking through a, a media scrum at an airport. That's pretty self-serving in a media context. It just raised to me, finally, the whole thing about the media being in that bubble and sort of operating for itself sometimes and not really, despite the fact that it is supposed to be appealing to what the public wants, sometimes not really listening to what the public wants or doesn't want. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the indignation shown by Matt Thompson and Johnny Ralph is just sort of goes to the heart of the, to me, it, it strikes to the heart to the lack of um, uh, context in which some of these incidents or in which in which they report news and the fact that they are out of touch with what a reporter actually does. So Matt, Ralphie. You're a reporter. You're there to report on this incident as it unfolds, from Andrew Gaff striking Andrew Brayshaw right through to Andrew Gaff coming to Melbourne for the tribunal appearance. The fact that you're trying to tailor his arrival in Melbourne to suit your needs goes to the heart of maybe the level of control you think that the media has over such incidents. You're there to report. It's an organic situation report on the fact that he has been ushered through a special door at the airport, that there is special consideration being given to him. Make that a news story and report on that and don't get your knickers in a knot when he's not served up on a platter as you hoped he would have been. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the only thing that was going to happen was he was going to walk through the you know, the down the corridor of the airport lounges, tailed by, you know, a throng of media going, Andrew, any co-, you know, he wasn't going to say anything. No, of course so, not. But, so but, so but, who, who, is, who is that vision actually serving? Well, that's right. Who is it actually serving? And it, if it's... Well, the if, media. <laughs> I'm saying, but if it's contrived, if there's a need to see Andrew Gaff arriving then that's not really reporting the news as it happens. Be versatile enough, journalists, to report and make a story of what actually happens. 
And there is a bit of a story because how often is somebody ushered through a side door at Melbourne Airport? I think that is reserved really for high-profile celebrities. To <laughs> People caught with enormous amounts of drugs on their person. <laughs> well, I'm saying it is, it is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. And to afford that special treatment to somebody facing an AFL tribunal is a story within a story and make of it something. Don't sit there and, you know, throw your lolly because you've brought a cameraman with you and, you know, the cameraman, be- cameraman becomes surplus to needs because there's no vision to be shot. Stand in front of a side door and, and you know, do some be creative, do some old-fashioned journalism. If they can't find the actual side door, create a side door. <laughs> you know, ha- hasn't that happened before? What do you all mean, you, create you a side door? Well, all you need is a wall with a door. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see. And you're mean. standing in front of a wall with a door. <laughs> it could be at 7-Eleven, for God's sake. You know, and tell the story of how Andrew Gaff, such was the interest in the case, and, you know, that uh, Melbourne Airport took the decision to allow Andrew Gaff to be ushered through a side door. You know, this sort of... I'm sort of broadening this a bit, but... I, I, I sort of read those tweets and read the reaction to them, and it sort of maybe it's because I'm I'm now sort of more removed from the the day to day. Well, no, that's not true because footyology is day to day. But I guess because I'm sort of outside the mainstream media to an extent, um, the sort of po-facedness about coverage of football now it's something that's been getting on my wick for a number of years. We've really lost. The element of, um, well, f- fun to a degree. Although, you know, shows like the front bar, I think, I, I think the front bar is great, you know, and I, I think there's a, a bit of that that's good, but perhaps not enough. But just perspective, you know, the way that everything is so breathlessly reported, like it's the, you know, the outbreak of World War Three, and it's, and it's really not. I don't know about you, but I mean, sometimes when you go overseas, you know, it's very good for, broadening your horizons a bit and you sort of, I don't know but the last couple of times I've gone overseas there's been some sort of footy story I've read and that sort of air of semi-hysteria in the way it's reported and I've sort of cringed I thought oh my god we're in a little bubble aren't we I think that's a really good point when you take a step back from covering AFL football you realize sometimes the gravitas with which every story is dealt with is almost the stuff of caricature. You could almost make a comedy then and there. And sorry, Matt Thompson, but your name's going to come up again. Um, Matt was born of a culture that made everything incredibly serious. And, you know, I just hear some of these younger football journalists and reporters maybe sort of following on from the style of the you know, the successful foot-in-the-door AFL journalists really trying to make mountains out of molehills on a regular occasion. Yeah. Well, well what... You know, the other thing I think the footy media is guilty of is overstating the extent to which people want fresh news, you know. So, like... Um, what I mean is, so okay, so you, there, there's a decent story happening... 
and then that'll be covered for, I don't know, 12 hours, say, tops. And then it's like, okay, what's happening now? What's the next, what's the next story? In fact, you'll see ad, there's an ad for the Herald Sun where, um, I can't remember which journo it is. Well, the fact that we have ads with journos on them, but I mean, there's a TV ad, one of a journo says, you know, I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking, people say, what's your best story? I'm not thinking about that one. I'm thinking about the next one. Well, well, I think we overstate the public thirst for that. I'm not saying that they don't want news and, you know, as it happens and, but not at the expense of, not when it's an inferior story in ter- terms of importance at the expense of one which actually has captured interest and could still be mined for further angles, you know what I mean, in terms of analysis. And that, and I know it's a real hobby horse of mine, but the game itself, you know, for all the saturation media coverage now, ridiculous extent of media coverage when you throw in, you know, 24-hour footy channel and blah, blah, blah. But the percentage of decent analysis of what happens hasn't risen exponentially with that it's if anything it's it's less than it used to be and i I just find that bizarre well you see what happened was i think about 10 years ago we had a, a few footballers maybe born of the old school feeding a gathering pack of journalists with salacious non-football stories And there were a number of them going around, you know, there was a few incidents around the St Kilda Football Club, there was an ex-Collingwood player that that tended to fit the bill, maybe even a young current Richmond player. Well, the Tiger learned his lesson and no longer is in the headlines. The ex-Pi, is an ex-Pi, no longer plays league football, St Kilda got the services of a Matt Finnis and became politically correct almost overnight and all of a sudden this new band of reporters and football not necessarily football reporters but um football let's call them football football stories or, or incidents around the game have dried up and this culture of reporting on the lives of footballers and indiscretions of footballers and and wrongdoings of football club, football clubs, that's dried up, doesn't really exist anymore. So all we're left with is the overplaying and beating up of basic stories to the point where we get huge breaking news on a player's injury. Well, a player gone injured, we'll hear about it on, we'll hear about it when the club releases their injury list. But even that, even that, I mean, that's actually a good example. Okay, so a player gets injured now. What about, you know, if it's a, important enough, okay, you get the reporting of the injury, but wh- where's the analysis saying, okay, this is a major blow for West Coast? Like, Gaff, I haven't read, actually, I haven't looked at this morning's papers yet, but I... The ramifications on field. Exactly. Have you seen a piece in either paper not talking yet. about that? Not yet. Well, why not? I mean, that that is the most significant thing out of it. Uh, isn't just Sir Andrew Gaff. It's what it means for West Coast chances of winning the flag. And I look. I went on Margaret last night. I'll say it again. I I think that's probably the straw that breaks the camel's back for them. I thought they could probably 
cope with the loss of Nick Nat and have so far pretty well. But they're losing their best midfielder. He's averaging more than 30 disposals a week. Uh, he gets 21 uncontested. He's responsible for the bulk of their outside run. I reckon that is the difference in, co- in combination with Nick Nat and a, a sore Josh Kennedy. That is the difference between them being able to win a flag and not. But uh, where's the... Is there no one interested or capable of doing that analysis now in papers? Well, there is. I, I know. I've worked with these guys. Why aren't you doing it, guys? Well, what's been the big off-field story this year? Off-field? Yeah. Um, I reckon there's been one. Oh, the, be... the rule changes to me are oh, the no, most no. important. Well, to me, that's a, a football story. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh, I don't know. What, what, tell me. Probably the Adelaide pre-season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did we really find out anything about that? No, people... It's that, of... Was that not the greatest beat-up of all time? Uh, Did it mean anything? What? What's the upshot of all of that? I don't know. The The extent of the reporting started having me believe that it... it you know, so I, don't, I don't think it was a beat-up in terms of... It sounded... The number of different people that reported on it and the way the info kept coming out sort of made you think, oh, there's definitely substance there. Yeah, it was only... It only was a story when Adelaide was going badly. You only... Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. On a week-to-week basis, you'd hear about it, not hear about it, hear about it, not hear about it, depending on their win-loss record. You know, I... I, Made me very dubious about, you know, questioning the whole story. Yeah. No, that, that lack of analysis, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the actual game day, but, you know, how sides play and what coaches are doing and the ramifications of West Coast losing Gaff. The Adelaide thing, what that could do to them in a performance sense, I don't see enough of it. I really don't. And I think it, it's just bizarre to me because the game has more coverage than ever. And I think I genuinely think people are interested in that stuff. I don't get it. I've got to tell you, I, I've been in the car a fair bit the last few days. Consistently, the most inter- for me, most interesting hour of football radio I'm hearing at the moment is uh, pure. Is it still called pure footy on on SEN on Andy Mars show with David King and it has been Glenn Luff, but Daniel Horn's been doing it lately. I heard that again uh, on Tuesday. That is fantastic. That segment. Now I know people roll their eyes with Kingy a bit. The good thing about this hour is they do sort of give it a bit more context. Daniel Horn sort of weighs in at the appropriate moments with the right stats. And, you know, if you want to know, well, you know, uh, how, how does Richmond play this footy? They'll come out and they'll tell you. It's, it's, I find it a fascinating hour and far and away the most interesting hour of football well, more radio at the informative. Moment. It is informative. It is absolutely informative. Why? That's one hour a week. Why isn't there more of that? I don't get it. Uh, fair ask. All right, well, uh, that's enough for Media Watch this week. Uh, we ask questions. We, we ask questions we can't necessarily answer ourselves, and sometimes it's a bit stream of consciousness, but analysis. Well, well you know, look, it's a fair question to Matt Thompson and to Johnny Ralph. Worry less about what door Andrew Gaff comes out of at, Melbourne pa- at, at the Melbourne airport and show yourselves to be true football journalists and explain what his eight-week absence means to the West Coast Eagles. It's a simple summation. All right. There you go. You heard it, boys, from Finey. I look forward to your tweets 
on the subject. On Footyology Previews with Punch. Rightio, round 21, uh, tipsters nightmare, aren't they all this season? What did you get last week, Finey? Six. Yeah, I think I got six too. I don't think I've got close to a nine this year. It's like a pot of gold getting a nine out of nine. All right, let's start at the beginning. Friday evening, uh, Etihad Stadium. Is this the last? Oh, no, there's a couple more, isn't there? Soon to become Marvel Stadium. Essendon playing St Kilda. 7.50pm, just by the by, Ken Fraser, Essendon Great, being honoured by the Bombers, who will be wearing their Heritage jumper with Ken's insignia on it. Lovely, lovely man, Ken Fraser. Um, disappointing last week for the Bombers. The, the result was. The performance wasn't. The performance was pretty good. They can play better than that. They switched off for costly little periods in every quarter, and I felt actually, I wasn't, as with my bomber hat on, I wasn't overly upset at the end because I thought early in the last quarter it looked like Hawthorne were going to run right over the top of them and they, they steadied again. So I, I think they're going all right at the moment. There's still that, you know, very, very, very slim finals chance. And while that exists, every motivation, um, Saints struggling, I think the Bombers should have a reasonably strong win. Yes, and killed a terrible last week. They had... The dogs early five goals up and then capitulated were terrible. They lose Hickey, so they're down to the bones of their ass in terms of Ruckman and forwards. And uh, I just wonder. I think realistically, Essendon can't make the finals anymore. Whether or not that letdown will play out on field, because Essendon have been just gung ho and all at it in a team sense now for many weeks. But they'll be too good for St Kilda, and it could be a bit of a. Uh, they could be. If they get on top early, which I think they might, it could be a bit of a um, thrashing here. So I'm, I'm, I reckon Essendon might spifflicate the same. Rightio, bombers for both of us. Uh, Hawthorne Geelong, Saturday afternoon, one forty-five. Doesn't get much bigger than this. I reckon, finally, in the whole last three rounds, this is the most important Pivotal. game. Yep. Um, I had my latest ladder predictor has... The winner of this game finishing sixth and making finals and the loser finishing ninth. Certainly in terms of the Cats. Now the Cats have got, I think they've got Freo and Gold Coast at home the last two weeks. So this is the one. They win this one. They're uh, in. They, they will play finals. Gave a really good account of themselves on this ground against the Tigers last week. So did the Hawks. Uh, you know, what I think danger signs if you're worried about Hawthorne looming are um, their older heads and more experienced hands are, are sort of sniffing finals and, and getting on deck. And I thought last week the difference between the two sides in the end was the coolness under pressure and execution of Gunston, Bruce, and in the last quarter. It wasn't huge all day, but in the last quarter, Sean Burgoyne. And Stratton, I know you were wrapped with. Oh, he was fantastic, yeah. Um, he's had a terrific season, actually. And I think that, for me, that gives them the edge over the Cats. And it's funny because the Cats have got Dangerfield, Selwood, Ablett, Hawkins, who's having a great season. But I just think Hawthorne are steadier under pressure. Epic game, the first meeting between those two sides this year. Hawks won by a point. I reckon they'll make it the double, and I reckon they'll play finals and the Cats will miss out. Yeah, again, these two teams have in them a respect for each other that tends to mean that if one team gets the jump, the other one... Claws their way back, so I expect another close game. But 
Yeah, I'm going to go for Hawthorne because of mainly Bruce and Gunson because they've got a couple of forwards that are beautiful shots at goal and can make you pay, especially in the last quarter. All right, Hawks for both of us. Uh, Saturday afternoon, 2.10, Metricon Stadium, Gold Coast and Richmond. Oh, boy. Hey, remember those early years when Gold Coast were... Didn't they beat Richmond three times in a row in yeah, Cairns? Yeah, Carmichael Hunt. The Carmichael Hunt game being one of them. But, uh, boy, times have changed, haven't they? Uh, Gold Coast. Oh, you didn't mind their effort after quarter yeah, time last week. Uh, Tigers, not quite at their best. Still got some really good players to come back into that mix. Um, they'll, I don't know, I guess in the back of your mind, you've, you've got that thing. Richmond's just about tied up top spot. You know, they, will they take it easy? Well, they could take it easy in this game and still win by 10 goals, I reckon. Yeah, they're going to win by something. That's all. Okay, good. Very fulsome uh, preview from you. Yeah, well, I think that might be how Richmond approached the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, true. Uh, I don't think there'll be that many people watching it, given Hawthorne Geelong's on at the same time. Uh, Port Adelaide, West Coast. This is massive. Um, 4.35 Melbourne time, uh, Saturday afternoon. Jeez, that's a rank time slot. I hate it. Uh Okay, four out for the Eagles. No gaff now, no Nat Nui. Uh, Kennedy. Yeah, highly doubtful. Yeah, there you go. Jeez, it makes it tough. Yeah, you can't pick them. Um, Port. Eh, where are Port at, do you reckon? Well, you know what? They're a week-to-week proposition, Port. But They've been disappointing last month. Yeah, they have been disappointing. But they remain a team with enough firepower to win. Look, they, they the showdown was a great game and fair cop to Adelaide. You know, they were able to almost steal one there at the end off Port Adelaide. But mm. I just think the lack of outside run now with the loss of Gaff, which is somewhere where Port Adelaide can really do you some damage. Mm. No, I have to lean to Port Adelaide and say that at home they'll win this. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree. They were they were good enough. They should have won that game against the yep. Crows, shouldn't they? Yeah, they should have. I mean, 10 points up with a couple of minutes left. Um, yeah, they need to pull out a convincing performance, I think, not just get the win, but look good in, in doing so. Need to score more. They're not scoring enough. They're, you know, they were the second highest scoring team last year. Haven't looked anywhere near as potent this no. year. So need to find the formula as well as get the points. Uh, we're both going for port there. Um, this one's interesting, funnily enough. Collingwood taking on Brisbane Saturday night at Etihad Stadium, 7.25. Careful, Collingwood. Yeah, well, I think any game involving Brisbane seems to be have that yeah, caveat attached to it now, doesn't and, it? And they've all, they've often enjoyed playing at Etihad Stadium. You know, they've got... Uh, it'll be under the roof because it's a night game. They've got forwards that can mark the ball. Larry Kipwood um, has had a better season, needs to finish it off probably as he was playing a couple of weeks ago. But they've got players that can go for... We know Rainer missed the goal that would have given them... Uh, an excellent win on the weekend against North Melbourne, but he's an aerialist. So they've got skillful players up forward. Their midfield is strong. Dane Beams playing against his old team. And their back line with Harris Andrews has a nice structure about it. But Collingwood are playing for bigger prizes. And they've got guaranteed winners, Collingwood, don't they? Pendlebury always wins his battle. The side bottom generally wins his battle. And we know that Grundy, even though he's up against the valiant Stefan Martin, tends to always win that battle. And Collingwood have a good knack of making the game about those battles. Mm. You know, they make them central to the result. Yeah. 
and that's why I'm tipping Collingwood. Just on a broader scale, they had a look at their injury list last night on Markrook. Fifteen players oh, on yeah, the injury it's list. Substantial, isn't it? And not only fifteen, ten of them I, I reckon are in their best twenty two. Yeah, yeah, they can't win the flag, you know. Like you can't always use injuries as as an excuse, but that absolutely is a difference between them being able to win a flag and not. Fair enough too. So they've been pretty brave when you have a look at the catalogue of players out. It's yep. ridiculous. But yeah, at in Melbourne, uh, Pies win. Yep. Uh, another big game. Uh, Adelaide still with the tiniest glimmer of a finals chance go to Canberra uh, where GWS their second have their second home and Again, injuries are backdrop to this game. Now, the Giants have won eight out of nine, looking absolutely superb. Um, just tore Carlton apart last week. But the injuries keep coming so badly that they were, for a moment, had 16 on the ground last Sunday. But now uh, Dawson Simpson, uh, Toby Green, uh, Deledio may not play again. Yep. Um, I'd go so far as to say... They can't win the flag with those guys out. You know, he's still Scully won't play. Williams is gone. Patton's gone. Um, I just can't see any of these sides with those amount of injuries beating Richmond on the MCG, particularly GWS. They would have to have their absolute best lineup on the park. However, I'm sorry, um, good enough to beat Adelaide, which will officially have its finals chances extinguished. Yeah, I'm happy to. Back to GWS, I think they go really well in Canberra. It's a it's a difficult place to play when you only go there once every three years or first time ever. I don't know whether Adelaide's yeah, ever played there. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not sure they have. Yeah, it's not an easy ground to play at, and GWS will have a strong home ground advantage and win. All right, let's move on to Sunday. one ten Eddie Head Stadium, North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. This is a game that not all that long ago would have been really appetising and now it's just really unappetising and Bulldogs um, well no they were good last week weren't they but North have been pretty good all season and it's funny and all the talk about the eight people aren't sort of talking about North but I, I reckon they'll make it the, the pivotal game for them will be presuming they win this week will be next week against Adelaide in Adelaide but I reckon I reckon North will win this one well yeah I think North Again, they play this ground well. Uh, the Bulldogs stormed over the top of St Kilda, give them a bit of confidence for this game. But North Melbourne seem to be controlling things well out of the back line with Nagjack Dorr taking all those intercept marks. Mm. Expect Higgins back. That's, for them, a big plus, and they should win against the Bulldogs. I've liked their, uh, another newcomer to the ranks too, uh, Walker. He's really Yeah, he's looked pretty impressive. Yeah, another good kid from Sandringham. All right, uh, Dragons, that is. 3.20 at the G, Melbourne-Sydney, the uh, capital city clash. Um, hugely important for both. Again, obviously, Melbourne in terms of uh, staying in that top four. Um, again, they've got injury worries starting to mount up. Um, when you have a look at... Viney won't be back till the finals. Hibbard's still out. Lever gone, of course. Melksham injured. Um, Sydney, they were pretty good last week when they had to be. It was a good response after an ordinary game the week before. I just, I can't get my head around Sydney being as good a side at the MCG. Now, they did beat Hawthorne there earlier this season in a pretty high-standard Friday night game, but uh, Melbourne's on song, I reckon. They 
gee, they tuned up for this well, you know, just flex their muscles against Gold Coast last week on the on the same ground. I reckon they've got I reckon they've got the run here that will worry the Swans. I don't think the Swans are a great running team these days. I think Melbourne might beat them for both a bit of pace and a bit of polish. I reckon the Demons will win. Yeah, I agree. Garlett's starting after playing a lot of football in the VFL this year, starting to be a dangerous forward again. Hogan covers a lot of ground. That Hogan! Forward... Sorry, I haven't done it for a few weeks. <laughs> that forward line is mobile and dangerous. McDonald sort of is the big lug down there, but rarely misses when he has a shot at goal. Max Gorn remains a towering force, and the back line, even without Hibbert and Lever, uh, is doing their job well. So I'm comfortable tipping Melbourne there. Demons for both of us. And it finishes up 4.40 at Optus Stadium in Perth. Fremantle when the final sign in that game goes. Uh, Fremantle <laughs> taking on Carlton. Now, oh, yeah. can't, can't get overly enthused about this one. You, you fire off. Um yeah, you know what, Fremantle have really been relying in recent weeks on just a couple of players. Which Lucky ones? Neil, Mundy, yeah. Ed Langdon, out of the middle. The rest of the players, their development, as we've discussed previously, seems to have stalled. Um, McCarthy showed a little bit last week. He's actually a very nice kick. Had a couple of shots of goal, put him straight through the middle, put the ball on the chest of a teammate a couple of times. Maybe he draws some confidence out of that. Look, they play against Carlton who had a win two weeks ago against Gold Coast and was able to wash away those happy memories with an appalling effort last week. So, you know, I mean, they lose by 100 points. Okay, you lose by 100 points against GWS Carlton. That can happen. But to be run over, demolished in the last quarter by a team that had at some time 16 players on the field was an embarrassment for Carlton. So I refuse to tip them a long way from home against the Dockers. Dockers for mine. Yeah, no, but by plenty. Um, so we tipped nine the same this week, Rowan. I was just going to say on Cam McCarthy, he's got to shave that mo off. Every time I see him, I just think he looks like a... Pornster. Well, he looks like an extra in a porn film. You know, like he's not a even fluffer. in the lead role. <laughs> just... <laughs> I don't know. It just looks like a real seedy porno actor. <laughs> Sorry, Cam, but you just look better without it. Um, oh, look, Freo. Yeah, we've talked about Freo. I worry about where the rebuild's going, but uh, at home, yeah, this is a a, a pick 'em off, a soft target game. And the Blues, yeah, you'd think getting walloped by over a hundred in Melbourne. Uh, doesn't all go well for a road trip to Perth. So, and they are able to sort of isolate games, Fremantle. So, despite having a terrible season, you know there'll be thirty thousand plus people there. It'll be something special week for Fremantle. There'll be a whole lot of people there for their one game of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it'll be a singularly enjoyable experience, isolated from the rest of the year. And then the next time you go to the ground, you go and watch the uh, Perth Scorchers. Right? Yeah. Yeah, this is a Mark Fine theory. I'm not associated with it. All right, that's previews with Punch. Let's wrap it up. On Footyology, never again. All right. Um, my never again, Fine, is uh, on the tipping front. I've had a, a stinker of a year on the tipping, and I've got a theory as to why. I think I place too much importance on historical factors, as in this side always goes well against them, or this side struggles at this venue rather than looking enough at the here and now. Um, actually, no, that's not fair. I do look at the here and now. But historical factors, they're becoming less relevant. You know, uh, like 
runs of sequences of wins are, are made to be broken. Uh, history is bunk. It would be it in a nutshell, and I've got to sort of get that through my thick head when it comes to tipping because I have embarrassed myself in a tipping sense in 2018. So never again will I pay too much attention to the weight of tipping history. Fair enough, too. Never again should a player allow themselves to be connected with a move to St Kilda. Even the very mention of going to St Kilda can turn an excellent career on its head in a matter of minutes. Now, Jake Carlisle, who's become a very good St Kilda player, no sooner was he mentioned as a future St Kilda player than he got suspended for a year with all the Essendon people, got involved in some cocaine stupidity, transatlantic troubles, and he quickly got the St Kilda curse on board. Now, poor old Andrew Gaff, he's not even said that he's coming to St Kilda, but 10 days ago he gets mentioned as St Kilda's prime target. Simon Lethleen identifies him no sooner as Andrew Gaff being associated with St Kilda than he does something so out of character and off-scale and unthinkable that you'd think that he'd already signed with St Kilda and he gets himself suspended for eight weeks. So watch out, Dan Hannabury. You've been associated with St Kilda. You're most likely to come out this week, pull your pants down and urinate on a player <laughs> on the field. Well, he has been, he's been associated with some scally waggery with, over the with years. Buddy, with Buddy. So, um, so uh, yeah. careful, young yeah. Dan. Careful. Yeah, so never again allow yourself to be linked to St Kilda because it has a tendency to take you to places unthinkable. And don't go to any um, shows with dwarves in them. No, don't. Can I say that? Yeah, of course you can. I just did. Now, I was going to make some joke about the guy off uh, Game of Thrones. What's his name? Peter Dinklage, is it? I don't watch it. Oh, God, Game of Thrones. It's epic. All right, that is it for... You know what Game of Thrones is? Oh, don't start. Game of Thrones is fantastic, Fanny. Sorry. No, you, you know what it, it is? What? It is... It is... Um, it's as though nerds had enough of being picked on for... Um, what's that one they made in New Zealand, the movie? Lord, of, Lord the of the Rings and Star Wars and Star Trek and like, all the nerds said, we're going to make a nerdy program, but we're going to put swearing and killing and raping in it so no one can make fun of us anymore. It's, it's as nerdy as the rest of your programs. Well, I've got to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, as a rule, one who watches those sorts of things, but I've got to say I've watched it from day dot and it's been fantastic. It's for nerds, nerds who wanted to toughen up. Well, you're still nerds. Uh, some pretty raunchy stuff in it, funny. Anyway, in, ever, the, in the in the mystical land of <laughs> Spelunkerville, you know, it's still full of imagery and yeah, no, no, I get it. and I get it, I get it. But uh, Daenerys, uh, Daenerys is uh, a beautiful lady. All right, that's enough. We're getting right off tangent here. This was an epic. Um, footyology podcast have a great weekend of footy everyone make sure you tune in to facebook live on sunday evening for our review of round 21 may your football be good football and goodbye